n- number one is think bigger, right? You hear that a lot, but you know, we're talking about scale here and a lot of things start to work with scale. Let's get ready to scale. Thanks for joining us yet again. Today, I'm excited to bring to you Jake Wiley. Jake is the Director of Commercial Real Estate for PwC, where he leads core client relationships with private equity real estate and alternative investment groups. He has been investing both passively and actively in real estate for more than 16 years. This includes also raising private funds for strategic value-add investments, which everyone knows I'm a big fan of and also long-term holds. He's the host of the Limited Partner Podcast. And prior to this, he actually founded a Louisiana-based residential solar finance and installation company, which later was actually acquired by Palmetto. So congratulations on that, Jake. And last but not least, he's an author, entrepreneur, CPA, and a former CFO with a master's in accounting from the University of Georgia the Terry College of Business, and he's coming to us today from, I believe, Charleston, South Carolina. Welcome to the show, Jake. Hey, Jeanette. It's great to be here, and thank you for that introduction. It actually made me sound really impressive, huh? (laughs) (laughs) So was I correct? You're joining us from Charleston? I am. I am live from Charleston. Wonderful. How nice. So, Jake, I appreciate you being on the show, and you do have a really interesting background, and it seems like a lot of experience. And I love the fact that you started the Limited Partner Podcast. Um, do you want to just kind of share with us your story and how it is that you evolved to kind of doing what you're doing now? Yeah, I think it's a it's it's a really great story for me, right? And I think there's a lot of people out there will probably resonate with this feeling is that I got into real estate many many years ago. I read a couple books, and you know, I was kind of forced to by um, the work that I was doing, working for an accounting firm. They required us to be independent of all these clients and real estate was the one thing they couldn't tell us that we couldn't get into. So I jumped into it, both feet started investing in real estate in 2006, right? So if you guys were thinking about the, the market and the economy, 2006 was shortly, shortly thereafter, we're in 2008 and 2009. And that's when the market really took a bath. And I jumped into real estate and, and you know, the old saying that when there's blood in the streets, that's when you should be buying. So I was buying real estate left and right. And then the, the government came and said, well, hold on, right? Like we're, we're trying to solve some of these real estate problems and where we used to buy mortgages. Now we're only going to buy, you know, you can only have four per social security number that goes to Fannie or Freddie. And all of a sudden, I, I think we were at six or seven properties at that point in time. So I was, I'd finally cracked the nut and this was the, this was the business model for me. And then my funding source basically evaporated overnight and I was forced to raise capital, private money, right? And we're talking about 2009, 2010. We're out in the market asking people for money to go buy real estate. And you know, everybody's looking at us saying, man, real estate is the problem, right? Like, that's why we're here. Why are we buying real estate? But there were so many great values to be had. But you know, I think one of the lessons that really, it took me, let's call it 15 years to really learn this lesson because I was really bullheaded in, in this whole process was, you know, when you, when you buy real estate and you're the man, right. Or, or the woman, and you know, you've got tenants calling you, you've got property managers calling you, you've got lease renewals, you've got repairs, you've got all kinds of things that are constantly headed your way. 
nobody calls you with good news. Like, hey, we're going to pay your rent plus a little bit or, you know, everything's on time. It's no the air conditioner is out and it's 400 degrees. Uh, the roof is leaking and it's a monsoon, you know, like the heater's out and it's the middle of winter. Like everything breaks at the most opportune time. And it's always right when you're about to go on vacation. <laughs> and it's it's stressful. It is so stressful being, you know, where the buck stops. And, you know, people argue with me and I've, I've had this this conversation a million times, especially when you're doing the onesie twosies, is that, oh, you got a property manager. They'll take care of it. And ultimately, the property manager would just call me. Right. Like tenant would call them. They would put down the phone and they would turn around and call me and be like, hey, we got a big problem. What are we going to do? And it's like, well, what are you going to do about a property manager? And they say, well, we can get somebody out there three days from now. And then you're like, well, great. Now we've got a tenant sitting out there with, you know, some major issue and you're not going to get out there for three days. So, of course, I would jump in the car and go try and take care of it, especially if I was local. And it's just stressful. It was a lot of work. And, you know, I've sat across the table in my professional career from all of these guys that are doing this at scale. And then like, you know, effectively, like just make it simple. They're writing checks mm-hmm. and they're not, you know, they're not worried, you know, Friday night that somebody's going to call or Sunday morning, or as soon as they head the vacation that like, they're going to have to pack up everything they're doing, go back and, and deal with this. And it's like, there's gotta be a better way. And really like the short answer is, and we'll get to the, we'll cut to the chase here. I mean, the better way is passive investing. Two things that I've learned is that one, I am, I'm very good at what I do. Like I can, I can, I can find a deal. I can renovate a house. I've had my contractor's license. I've had a real estate license along the way. I can do all of those things. But the things that I ended up spending most of my time on were not like what I should have been spending my time on. It wasn't going to really find the next deal. It was like just fighting fires. And then you've got professional outfits out there that are buying properties at scale and they have professional property management on site. You know, like when things break, it's part of the budget. It's part of the plan. It just gets fixed. They've got, you know, maintenance people ready to go. They've got backup HVACs. Like if the roof leaks, somebody's up there taking care of it. And honestly, they can do that, especially from a cash flow perspective. They can do that better than I could eat with my own property. So those are the things that it really kind of resonated with me, came home, and it took me 15 years to figure this out. And, you know, what I, what I realized is that I was sitting across the table from people doing this for years. I was investing in real estate. I thought I was doing a great job, but there's not a lot of education out there about how do you even get into passive investing and how do you do it safely? Like, how do you, like, how do you take somebody like me that's used to doing everything and then basically hand over the responsibility to somebody else? And, you know, when I started asking around, I realized there wasn't a whole lot of unbiased sources of truth when it came to do that. And I was like, well, I'm going to document my journey and the questions that I'm asking in a podcast. And therefore that was how the limited partner podcast was born. And it's been an evolution of like, where are the markets? What are the asset classes? And what are we thinking about? How do you find the right people? How do you trust somebody? Like, what does a track record look like that's viable? I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this in, in the conversation, but the market has changed so much in you know, just this past six months, the past year, and then you know, the year before that and what it looked like that you know, the rising tide was raising all the ships, but we're out of that market now. So we're having to, make, we're having to ask different questions. But you know, that's the evolution. I've seen it from both sides. I've seen how you know, the ultra wealthy are investing, and I've seen how when you do it all by yourself, like what it does. And like, I've got gray hair now that you can see because of like, I just never knew when the shoe was going to drop. So that's my journey. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm so passionate about continuing to educate the market 
on, you know, how do you get involved in this and how do you take your hand off, you know, hand off the till and, and hand it over to somebody else? Yeah, no, that's great. And I can, I can appreciate everything you're saying. Um, you know, I think technology has really been a big game changer too, um, as far as transparency, you know, um, because of social media and, you know, there's increasingly, I'm starting to see more and more platforms coming out that are actually tracking sponsors and their performances uh, based upon not numbers that the sponsors are reporting, but what their investors are reporting to these, these you know, platforms um, that is starting to increasingly make transparency, I think, more accessible and more reachable to people. But of course, a lot of people still don't know about it. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you 100%. Um, you know, when, when you're looking purely from a, a passive investing standpoint as a limited partner, it is really hard to know who to trust, where to put your money, if you're making the right decisions or not. Um, and I think that thanks to technology, being able to collectively bring passive investors together is definitely beneficial when you start to really feel like you've got a network of people that you can exchange this information with. I mean, I think that essentially that was part of, you know, what helped Bigger Pockets to become, you know, uh, the platform that it is today. And and I think it's great that you actually started your podcast, you know, kind of with that same aim in mind. I know you've actually been able to build out a whole community. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've got we've got folks that have been doing this for a while that are, you know, turning around and saying, maybe I just got lucky. And then we've got, you know, high net worth individuals that are coming and saying, you're right, there's a better way. Like I, I see these folks, and I know they're doing it in real estate, but I simply just don't have time nor the inclination to get into it. But all I've been investing in is my retirement fund and I'm ready to do something else. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, um, I'm director of investor relations for Blue Lake. So, I, you know, of course, I'm talking to investors all the time. Right. But I'm not going to be so arrogant as to say that I know what investor sentiment is hands down across the board, because there's a lot of different people out there with a lot of different opinions. So from your standpoint, now, especially given the current market, what would you say is the sentiment that most limited partners have right now? Well, I mean, I can speak for for my community because there's obviously people that have been doing this for a while and they're, they're looking for it. But there is a sense of like, just hold on, right? We've got to take a breath. Like, what does tomorrow look like? There's so much information, you know, rents are going down, you know, we're seeing vacancies, we're seeing lease, I'm sorry, loans not being renewed. And it's, it's a scary place. And then, you know, the flip side is that if, if you go out there and you kind of pound the normal circuit of uh, general partner sponsors that are putting these deals together, it still seems kind of rosy and sunshiny. So there's this kind of mixed message that's out there in the marketplace. And people are a little bit anxious to kind of jump in at this point in time because of that. They're thinking like, ah, the, the messages don't seem to, to, to kind of marry up. So people are asking questions. Um, I think I've seen a lot of people just say, look, I'm, I'm just going to sit on my hands. My cash is better than it is. And I mean, I, I can never really advocate for that, but I can appreciate where they're coming from right now. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I agree with you also. I, I can appreciate that sentiment. Um, of course, that doesn't help to grow your funds. Right. So we're all like, no, that's the worst idea, you know, um, but I can I can definitely understand the hesitancy uh, for sure. And it is a tough market. You know, the reality is, is that it, there's truth in both. You know, there there are um, because of the changing tide, if you will, you know, it's not going to be the the heyday that it was before. That's just the absolute reality. And I think that um, anyone really kind of going out there right now and pretending that things haven't shifted 
is is a little bit behind, right? So we have to call it what it is. The market has shifted. It's not we're not going to see the same type of gigantic, you know, rate hikes and returns uh, that we were enjoying the last several years, right? It's a different game. Uh, however, of course, the truth is is that it, real estate historically is still you know, a fundamental part of anyone's investment strategy. And that's for a reason, uh, because real estate is still, you know, something that can help generate and grow wealth, you know, for people that are investing in it. I mean, that's also just the fact, uh, even if it's not quite, you know, um, as extensive as it was before. So I'm curious to know for yourself, where are you putting your money right now? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great question. And a lot of what we're doing now with 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 funds is putting it in short term investments, meaning like things that are we're, we're just quickly turning. And I know that's a little bit more active than, than probably I preach. But as we think about the opportunity to kind of get in and get out and help people through like transitions, like loans or bridging, uh, investing in short term opportunities that can get the money in and get it back out pretty quickly while things stabilize gives us the ability to continue to be flexible as, as we see the market coming. And, and the reason for that is there, there's, there's a lot of opportunity. And I won't even say there's a lot of opportunity. The vast majority of real wealth when it comes to real estate is made in downturns. And that's, that seems really strange because like what we were just talking about is you know, this, this rising tide that we've had for the last decade. I mean, we're overdue for an, a correction, but you know, the last decade and then really even just these past three or four years – the returns have been phenomenal. We've seen a lot of sponsors that have gone full cycle on a deal in three years, two years, three years, because the numbers pencil, right? They're able to get their investors the returns that they wanted in a two-year time frame when the business or the original you know, thesis for the investment was five years. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason I bring that up is that there's a fundamental disconnect with you know, when you have a thesis for five years and that's how you're going to get to your returns and then you turn it in two, like everybody's, you know, thumbs up, like we did an amazing job better than we thought. But the reality is that you actually didn't execute your business plan. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason that's, you know, I want to pound that a little bit and it's important is that there are a lot of people that have gotten in the game, let's call it since 2016 forward, and they've seen nothing but the rising tide. And when you have, you know, groups that are younger, you know, they've, they've been full cycle and they can go tout their returns. And like, you know, to your point, like when people are reporting, what do their returns look like? You know, those are the stories that are out there. But the reality is, is that, you know, we want to see people that have gone full cycle on their investment. You know, this is what we projected and this is where it ended up. And from a timeline perspective, like it married up pretty good. Like they actually understand the market. So as we think about getting back to the whole point of like real wealth is built in downturns is that there will be opportunities that are coming. Right. The debt markets are, are nuts right now, meaning that you can't you, know, you can't just assume that you're going to get a refinance or if you put a deal together with a bridge loan with a three percent or three and a half percent loan. And then like you're turning around, like if you can get one, it's in the sixes like that's a double what it was before. All of a sudden we've got cash flow issues, right? That coupon that you were expecting no longer exists. So how do you get through that? So there will be property, there'll be some distress here in the market that's coming. And I'm not predicting like huge doom and gloom, but there'll be some distress in the market with assets that are performing and are very strong. And, you know, looking and being ready for those opportunities and being ready and, you know, willing to write the check when those things come up, I think that's super important. And that's what I'm excited about. And that's what I lived through, right? Through the last cycle, 2008, 2009, I was writing checks left and right as fast as I could 
when the government cut it off, I went and found money because that's where the opportunity is. And that's the tide. That's where the net worth really comes from. And I, I just want to kind of hammer home to you that the point there is that it's important to be reserved and cautious and make sure you know what you're getting into. But if you find the right people to work with, you find the right sponsor that understands the market, when these opportunities come to bear, they will move very fast and you've got to be ready to go. Like it's not going to be your typical, we've got, you know, six months of due diligence, which I know a lot of people are stretching out their due diligence period right now, hoping that the market changes. The really good opportunities are going to be quietly done behind the scenes, brokers reaching out to people that they know that can get the deals done, sponsors reaching out to their investors and saying, we found a great deal. And when you know you've got the right person that you trust, it's time to get in. So, you know, yes, I think there's a sense of, of hesitating, but I also think that there's going to be a sense of urgency and you need to be ready to go. And you've personally, you've got to figure out how to like make that balance within yourself. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And we're definitely seeing those deals starting to come online already. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we fully anticipate that this is going to be a time, uh, I agree with you 100%, uh, very significant and ripe with opportunity and being positioned to move with those opportunities is obviously critical. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting because I think that just as you said, you know, some of the younger groups um, that, you know, got to ride the heyday and, and I won't pretend that we're not kind of one of those groups. Uh, we are, but this is where I think a lot of um, groups are going to be separated, you know, kind of one from the other, because it's it's really going to be about how how we handle things now and how we move with the situation now, as opposed to what our track record was before this moment. Uh, so I, I don't disagree with you at all. Now, um, I'm curious within your group, when you guys are evaluating sponsors, um, how how do you advise those people in your community on doing their sponsor evaluations or are you doing it for them? Well, it, it really depends. So like I, I work with a very, very select group of, of folks. So I wouldn't consider the limited partner community, quote unquote, to be like my investment pool. So it's an education platform to give everybody the tools they need to make good decisions. And, you know, so we'll talk about the advice piece. Yes, I'm always looking at deals and like that's a different piece. But like if I'm giving somebody advice, it's you need to start with who, right? And like that, that that's actually, you know, part of scaling too. But you start with who and you find sponsors that have a good business plan, you know, like and if they haven't been through a cycle before, you know, they've learned from history, like the numbers, the, the, the information is there. Right. Like you just you don't have to you don't have to have experienced it. Like that's the, the beauty of books and mentors and the people that you bring along is that they can guide you through that process. But but there's a lot of assumptions that are made. And like, you know, this is an investor relations specifically. But as you think about looking at a deal, you know, there's cap rates. Right. And the cap rate, you know, has, has been as low as three percent, you know, closing in on two percent. And you know, it's creeping back up, but like, what are you anticipating your exit cap rate? Because like those numbers, just a small tweak percentage of a percentage makes an extremely big difference in the way the deal is. And if you're not aware of that, like that's an issue that you're going to have to face. Then expenses, like what are expenses looking like? What have they looked like over the past, you know, couple years? What do you, what are we projecting into the future? Like, Nobody should be projecting flat, you know, like, should it be 10, 15, 20%? Like, I don't know, but there should be some sort of reasonability to it. And then the other one that's like a massive red flag to me is rent increases, is that we've, we've seen, you know, unprecedented rent increases 
over the past couple of years. And there is still a housing shortage. Like, so like, let's be super clear on that is that the, the, the pandemic did not create the housing shortage, nor did it make it go away, right? We're still, de still dealing with that market. So as we think about multifamily, people are still looking for places to live. But if we think about rent increases, let, let's, we'll just make this super simple, right? Like this is not a compounding aspect, but like, let's say we've seen rent increases that are at 25% over the past couple of years. So that's unprecedented. But like, do we think that that's going to continue into the future? Like maybe if you looked at it in a vacuum and said, hey, here's one year and like there's another 25% rent increase. Okay. But like you can't project that year over year over year because in a matter of four years, like we we're talking double, right? So let's go back in time. Three years ago, rent was $1,000. Last year it was $2,000, right? Like that happened. We wrote it on paper. Is that trend going to continue? Do you think that that same person is going to be able to afford $4,000 rent in the next two years? I don't think so. Two, three years? Like, that's not realistic. So you have to look at the assumptions that are baked into these models. And you kind of got to look at them, one, not in a vacuum, right? Like not a year-over-year -year increase because it's really easy just to put it in the spreadsheet and then just drag the formula across and be like, look, that makes sense. That's how inflation works. That's how everything works. But then you got to look at it and say, does that make any sense? Right. And you've got to do that with every single one of the assumptions. Insurance is a big cost. Debt. Debt is what's driving this whole fiasco right now. It's like people can't get debt and the interest rates are creeping up really fast. So what are the assumptions on debt? Do they have a two year bridge loan, three year bridge loan? How are they going to refinance? And if it doesn't work, like what's the re you know, what are they thinking the rates going to be at the back end of that? Like we know that the, the rates have gone up at 75 percent, 75 bips and 50 bips, but it comes down at 25 and 12 and a half. Like that's the way it works. So what took a year to go up may take two or three years to come back down. So we've got to be really responsible in the way you look at it. And if the average person, I think when they look at it kind of both in a macro scale, like do these numbers make sense? Like, do I, can I project this, this rent, you know, in, you know, five years in the future to make sense. And then you look at it in a micro scale, like line by line, does all that make sense? Most people can actually sniff it out if something doesn't really add up. And that's, that's the point is like, get in, really look at the numbers. Cause you only have one chance to ask the questions and that's before you write the check. <laughs> After you wrote the check, you're in the deal. You might be able to get out, but it ain't going to be favorable to you. So when I'm advising people now, it's like, get in, look at it, look at the opportunity. What is the opportunity? You know, like, are you just buying an apartment building at, you know, because the, the sponsor needs to, to do another deal or is there a true opportunity? Is there a real value at here? So look at it. Make sure it makes sense. Like, does it pass the gut check? And then with anything, any question that you have, ask. And Jeanette, I know you probably get all these questions and you're probably like, I, I can't believe some of these people don't ask me more questions. But that's, I think, I think we have this, sen you know, a lot of sense of like, oh, these guys know what they're doing. I don't want to offend them. And it's like, no, no, ask the questions, get smart. Because yeah. you don't want to get the questions after they've invested, because that's really uncomfortable for both of you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one, you're preaching, you know, to the choir. Uh, these are things that I have said again and again, you know, when advising investors on how to evaluate what sponsors to work with. So I'm glad to have you say it instead of me. Uh, but I agree with you 100 percent. And uh, and, you know, I, I actually push and encourage investors um, to ask questions. If they don't ask me a question that I think is really important for them to know, I'll tell them this is another important thing you forgot to ask me and make sure you ask any other sponsors you're talking to also about this. Um, you know, because you do want to make sure that, you know, 
for the overall industry, you know, you, you do want to see people succeed. You don't want people to get wrapped up in horrible deals, losing their money. You don't want, you know, bad things like this to happen. It's not good for the industry and it's awful for the investor. Um, you know, so I, I'm happy to kind of play my little part in trying to make sure, you know, that people have a wonderful experience overall, you know, with real estate investments, because there is a little bit of um, reputation damage control that has to be done because there are some bad players. And that's just the reality. So I really appreciate all of your advice. I agree 100% with you. And I hope, you know, that those of you listening today are, are taking some extra notes. If, if you haven't heard me say it before, well, you just heard it from Jake. So make sure that you <laughs> get that jotted down. All right. So now, last but kind of not least, Jake, because of your exposure, I will say not only throughout your career, but then also currently, um, you know, where you work with PwC, you know, you I'm sure have had uh, access to seeing a lot of success being built along the way in people's businesses. So I'm just curious, especially kind of with where we are today, uh, what would you say are the three most powerful lessons that you've learned? in scaling a business. For those of us like myself, you know, we're sponsors. We're obviously looking to always scale our business here at Blue Lake Capital, but also for, you know, it's our investors. And many of them are also business owners that have nothing to do per se with real estate. Uh, so what would you say are just kind of your, your three big takeaways that you've gained over the years as far as how to scale a business effectively? Yeah, I think you know, number one is think bigger, right? You hear that a lot, but you know, we're talking about scale here and a lot of things start to work with scale. And it, you know, harkens back to the story I told at the beginning of this, the, the show is that when you're doing onesie twosies, like you don't matter to anybody, the cost, like for, for example, I'll just give you a, a, for an example, like the property managers would charge us basically 10% to one, collect the check and then two, you know, be the intermediary with phone calls. When you're doing this at scale, that number can be sub 3%, right? Like that's an automatic savings to you as the investor, like just because we're at scale. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the ability to have property managers on site, the ability to do bigger deals, to better get better terms, right? Insuring little things over, over time. Mm -hmm. And some of the lessons I've learned is the deals that I was able to do by myself, right? Before I started bringing on partners were the ones that I could financially like wrangle. And they are the biggest headaches, the biggest headaches, right? And I think that that's really number one is just think bigger. And that's why I like what we're talking about here. I like the whole idea of a syndication because you get to think bigger. You get to work with other people. You get to work with professionals that do this all day. This is their job, asset management, property management, you name it. Like this is what they do. It's not a side time gig. Okay. And you don't get that when you're not at scale. So that's number one is think bigger. Number two, in, in a alluded to this earlier too, is start with who, right? Find people that you want to work with, find people that are professionals and then find people that you're comfortable with, right? Like they get where you're coming from. And, you know, for me, like taking money, like I, I probably over-disclose everything. It's like, these are all the things that could possibly go wrong because I want everybody to be in there with me and understand what we're getting into. And we'll do everything in our power to mitigate all of those issues. But you want to be like fully transparent. And that's not, that's not how everybody operates. And I think that like when you work with outfits, sometimes like you, you'll, you'll get with folks that, you know, they're the big fish or they seem like they're the big fish. And like, you, you know, don't really want to give you the time of day, especially if you're writing a you know, small initial check. Like that's not who you want to work with. Like you want people that will treat you like you want to be treated and you feel very, very comfortable with them. 
And that doesn't mean that there's not people that can, you know, that, that have a personality disorder that can be that exact kind of person to you, but behind the back, just take your money. So like there is some risk, but start with who find people that you trust because the intent here, right. Especially for like the limited partners and me on my personal journey is that it's not about creating another job. And you can very easily create another job if you start trying to think your way through every single piece of this. So finding the right partners to work with, and then it makes it repeatable. And you know, Jeanette, we were talking about this a minute ago. It's like when you get people to understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, what the risks are, what the questions are, then they're, they're repeats, right? They'll come back, they'll invest again. So for you as a limited partner, that's so much easier than going out and trying to find another deal and vet another sponsor. And then really the last piece is like, figure out which, what piece of this puzzle really kind of like lights your fire, right? And then stick with that, right? So if you like, like I like investing, but I also like being kind of hands-on. So I'm in this weird middle, middle place where like, yeah, I want to put some deals together, but I don't, I don't want to own the property. I don't want to be the guy that people are calling. I don't want to hire the asset. I don't want to do any of that stuff, but I, I do want to help put some deals together. So find what you're passionate in, find your piece of the puzzle and focus on that. Like if you like specific assets, for example, like you guys like multifamily, like if you think like, oh, I love apartments, right? Like I get that. I've lived in apartments. Like that's great. You know, channel that, go there. If you like self-storage, like you put your stuff there or you, you like the fact that it's super easy. It's just a box when people put their stuff in it. Focus there. If you like a market, right? Like that's another place that you can put your focus. Like, you know, I, I like where I live. Like this is a great market or I love Charlotte. I want to go visit there. Like that's it. Use those things and find your passion because that's what will keep you engaged, right? Because it's, it's, there is work in the front of this investment process. It's not, it's not a free ride. It's not like your mutual fund. Like you go to work, right? Like this is the example I always give you know, your companies. Like you need to sign up for your 401k. And then they tell you who you talk to about your 401k. And then you put your money in there and then you kind of hope for the best and you get a little bit like, that's not what we're talking about here. You're putting your money that you've worked for for years probably into an investment, like spend the time to get to know what you want to do, but you know, try and channel it into something that you're passionate about, that it gets you excited because that'll like help you make that next call. Like if you don't feel great about it, like you don't want to just sit on your hands, you got to keep going. So that those are my three tips, right? Is start thinking bigger. Let's see, start with who, and then channel your passion. And I think when you put those three things together, that gives you the opportunity to scale. And really the, the, the beauty of this whole thing is that once you take your hands off the wheel, your capacity to grow is actually limitless. But the mo anytime that your hand or your mind is a part of the process, like you have a limitation, you are trading some of your time for dollars. So like the, the more you can hand off, the more capacity you actually have as a person. Excellent. I have nothing to add to that because I loved every word of it. Uh, that's great. Great. And so just kind of on a personal note, uh, I'm curious, Jake, what is kind of your big why behind all of this? What is kind of the ultimate goal that you yourself are working towards? Well, I think for me is when I think about what I want to do, right, I've got four kids and I'll tell a quick story. We, uh, during COVID, when everybody was remote, we pulled our kids home and we did like real homeschool, which is like the scariest thing ever until COVID happened, meaning that like we were the teacher, my wife was the teacher and I was the principal. And we did this cross country trip, right? And we're going to go see all of the things that my wife and I only saw in books. You know, we saw the Grand Canyon. 
And I'll stop at the Grand Canyon because it's a great story. We were sitting, you know, one, if you, if you drive to the Grand Canyon, South Rim, like I think that's where we were, you kind of drive up and it's like Disneyland. You kind of pull into the parking lot and then literally 100 feet away, you're on the rim, right? So you're looking into the Grand Canyon. Like there's not like this hike aspect to it. Like you just get out of the car, there's the rim, like right over there is the bathroom and you can walk on a path that kind of follows along the rim. And I was like, man, this is super easy and very cool. And I was like, man, you know, here are my kids and they are ranging from 10 to four years old. And I was like, man, I not until I was 40 years old that I get here. Right. And I'm like looking around and there's this trail that goes down into the canyon and it goes, you know, it's five miles all the way down to the river because it's got a snake back and forth across. And I was like, oh, man, we're so close to being able to do that. Like my youngest daughters at that point in time, they were four. I've got twins. And I was like, I can't I can't take them because I'm going to have to carry them both down and up. And I was like, it's just not going to work. And I was like, man, another year or two, like we could definitely do this. And then I looked around and I'm like, who else is seeing this? Like who, who else is feeling my vibe? And I looked around and it was, you know, a, a bunch of retirees. It was me, my kids and a bunch of retirees and a couple like, you know, the, the granola type folks that were actually doing the, the trail. And it really hit me. Like it was this like, boom, like moment where it's like, wow, a lot of these people never even got here until they retired. And they're just looking over the rim and they're saying, never, like, I'll never make it down there. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, wow, if I keep going the way that I'm going and being hands-on and got to be the guy and I've got to be there, one, if COVID had never hit, I probably would have been like, just like that, you know, gotten in the RV with just my wife, not my kids, because they would have been married and whatever. And we would have been looking down and be like, whew, man, that's a long walk. Glad we don't have to walk down there. Like right now I'm enthusiastic. We're with our family looking at this. I want to do these things. And I think that that was the epiphany for me is that when you think about the world, how can you do that? Right. It's like, you've got to start pushing off the work. You've got to get the things out of your hands and you've got to be more passive. And then two, by being passive, like by putting money to work, like not just sucking it away in some bank account or some 401k plan or like cash or gold, like it's doing nothing. Like when you put money into one of these projects, one, you're going to get a good return. Two, you're actually putting people to work. You're actually helping other people be their best them. And it's like, I can't think of anything that, that like really satisfies me more than that. And I want to be a part of that journey for like, not just me, but more. Like if we can get more people like me to have this epiphany and get money out there and working, it's like you're, you're, you're freeing yourself up to do the things you want to do. And you're also like really helping a bunch of other people in that was kind of the impetus. And that's what changed it for me. And now it's like a, a true passion to say like, one, I'm going to do this. And then two, I want to take as many people along this journey as I can, because I can't, I couldn't find anything else that, that would have taken me on this journey. So I'm, I'm creating my own and it's, it's a passion project, but it's also interestingly enough, it's accountability, right? It keeps me accountable. I have to keep having these conversations because people are counting on me now. And it's the best of both world. I've got pressure to keep going because other people are like saying, what's next? And then, you know, I'm, I'm coming to, I'm, I'm fulfilling my goals. So that's, that's the journey. It's beautiful. I love it. And I appreciate it very much. A former homeschooler myself for 10 years. Um, and definitely some of the best years um, that I spent with my children. I'm very grateful for the time that I got to do all of that. So beautiful. I love it. All right. So what is your favorite hobby? I like flying. Like, uh, I've got my I've got well, my pilot's license and I like nice. to fly. Very cool. Okay. What is something that most people don't know about you? 
that I've got four kids. <laughs> that always seems to be a big surprise. Yeah. Um, I the youngest are twins. Four. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Um, what would you say is a book that you either are currently reading or have read that you highly recommend real estate investors need to have in their library? There's There are two books um, by Greg McCown. And one of them is Essentialism and the other one is Effortless. Mm. And the whole premise of those books are think about things for how do you make it effortless? And then like, what's essential to you and only focus on that. And the rest will, will come into play. I, I probably didn't do it justice, but I think when you read it, some lights will like just totally come on when you think about like how you're spending your time and what you're doing and, and where your time is best spent, that that'll, that'll open some doors for you. Perfect. And it's actually a great segue to my next question, which is what is your advice for people that want to build an extraordinary life? I think the, the advice I would give is one, figure out where it is that you want to go. What is that? Like paint the picture and it's hard. It's very, very hard. And then we'll go, we'll get into another book is two books. So Simon Sinek has, you know, start with why. And then the second book, which is actually hard is find your why I'd actually recommend going through that process and, and painting the picture of, of what you really want out of your life in, in the grand scheme of things. Because what, what's really interesting is when you dial it back to today, you'll find that a lot of the things that you've been putting off are like, when I do this or when I have this, I will do this, are within reach today. And I think that that's kind of really where the magic of life can be is it like start pulling those things that are out in the future forward to today. Because like a lot of most of the things that you really want don't need tons and tons and tons of money right? Because that's what we think. Like we think we need to build this mountain of money and like this wealth. So then we can go do all of these other things. And honestly, by the time you get there, one, you might be burned out. Two, you may never get there. And then three, it's too late. Mm -hmm. Pull it forward, you know, but you've got to know what you want, right? Because like, I think too many people sit around thinking, well, when fill in the blank, then I'll figure out like all these cool things. And it's like, figure it out now. And then just start crossing those things off your list. Excellent advice. I, I appreciate it very much so. All right. And then last but not least, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? So I am, I host the Limited Partner Podcast. So the, the website for that is thelimitedpartner.com. And then, you know, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, but like my email address, if you just want to reach out and ask a question, it's jake at thelimitedpartner.com. Love to hear from you. And I know you alluded to this, you know, on the show, but like, when you leave reviews and comments, like that actually really matters. <laughs> we want that. And it helps us make the shows and the communities much better. So like get out there and just like reach out. Like it's not, you know, there's not some mystery here. Like we all, we actually do want to hear from you. All right. Well, Jake, thank you so much for coming on today and just sharing your wisdom, uh, your experience, your story. All of it has been really uh, very helpful. And for those of you listening in today, I hope you found value in this. And I encourage you to please don't forget to like, rate, review. Uh, let us know more of what you'd like to see in the comments. And we will catch you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.